joining the Rage for Justice Report with Consumer Watchdog. I'm your host, Carmen Balber, the Executive Director of Consumer Watchdog. And today, today we have some guests that I've known for a while who are all incredibly strong patient advocates. Uh, we have Michelle Montserrat Ramos, who is a patient advocate here at Consumer Watchdog and has been for many, many years uh, before she joined our team. And Mario Guzman and Ludmila Parada, who are San Jose residents and patient advocates who are here to talk with us about uh, their own coronavirus scare. Welcome to the show, Mario and Ludmila. Oh, thank you for thank having you. us. And welcome, Michelle. Thank you. So welcome. So let me just um, let me just preface our conversation with uh, Mario and Ludmila with the fact that um, they live in San Jose. Uh, that's in the middle of California's largest uh, coronavirus hotspot, Santa Clara County. Um, everyone up there is now under a sweeping shelter-in-place order uh, where they can only leave their homes for uh, essential work, uh, food, etc. Um, but Mario and Ludmila uh, were self-quarantined uh, earlier because of a coronavirus scare after Mario started showing concerning symptoms. Um, and I have known them uh, since back in 2013 because of a different medical crisis uh, that they went through that really changed their lives forever. So maybe, maybe Mario, you can, you can start just by telling us about uh, the medical negligence that you experienced uh, that made this coronavirus scare e even that much uh, harder for your family. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, unfortunately, um 2013, as you mentioned, I uh, I thought uh, well, I guess I was feeling sick and I was running fevers uh, and I sprained my ankle. Went to see uh, a doctor at Kaiser, and I guess they uh, basically uh, misdiagnosed me. They thought it was the flu. When in fact I have a bacterial infection in my sprained ankle. But I guess the first uh, the first error was uh, I guess. Uh, could be understandable, but I kept contacting Kaiser for uh, over a week, and I was continuously uh, being diagnosed as uh, saying to stay home, stay home, until it reached a point by Friday that we just walked into the yard because I was not improving despite all the medications I was taking, and as soon as I got into the hospital, the medical told me, hey, uh, Mr. Guzman, you have toxic septic shot, you have a 95% possibility of dying. Uh, we need to uh, admit you right now. And at the time, I remember uh, when he told me that, I was so out of it, like, I just, yeah, okay. But I guess after that, it obviously has been a big disappointment for us in the medical system, especially Kaiser outpatient, because as a result of that uh, situation, I used to be a triathlete, super healthy, as my wife can attest. I never, ever got sick, but I guess I got sick once. And as a result of that, I spent five months of the hospital. And by the time I walked, uh, got out, well, like I, I was only able to move my neck because of the nerve damage that I sustained because of the infection and the toxins released by infection. In addition of all the uh, amputations I suffered. So from then on, I became wheelchair-bound, and I guess I was... Uh, no longer a productive member of society, I have to retire from my career. So let me just let me just put a point on that. So, 
because of a sepsis infection, which is a very serious infection, that the Kaiser ER consistently sent you home for when you were seeking treatment. They couldn't treat the infection in time when someone finally listened to your concerns, and it cost you parts of all of your limbs. You were, that is uh, correct. Exactly, and, and if correct. I, I remember correctly, you were a marathoner. Uh, the two of you would run together. Uh, you were uh, you had a very very active life, and all of that was taken because of the medical negligence. That is correct. Yes, it it, it was a systematic failure, not so much of the ER part, but out of you know, primary care. You know, Got he it. presented Got it. to the to the to his uh, internet, uh, you know, with a textbook presentation of a septic arthritis in the ankle joint, and this they misdiagnosed it repeatedly. So by the time he hit the ER, he was already in full septic and toxic shock. Right. No, thank you. Thank you for that correction. It wasn't the ER. It was going uh, to his internist. So, so uh, this um, uh, this history, of course, with a severe infection that nearly cost you your life and cost you your your limbs, um, put you more at risk, I imagine, uh, in this coronavirus epidemic. So, tell me about what happened a few weeks ago um, when you started when you started showing symptoms? Well, yes, I guess uh, uh, after that uh, life present experience, I have a struggle to find a balance. So, okay, I, I now I pay way more attention to any symptoms I, I experience, and I have to make a judgment call. Oh, is this something serious? I have to be here. So it happened two weeks ago on March 4th. I was feeling with some chest pains and and the chest pains I was having were were not could not be explained for any the only condition I had. So we went to the ER, and at the ER they texted me for the chest pains, and and also a few days later. Yes, but you, he has been having some sort of a low grade a fevers for almost three weeks. By the time uh, you know we went to the ER on on March fourth, and you know so he had this fever that. It was not high, but it was persistent, um, and also he pains. So the doctors were fevers and the chest pain, and they that's why run a test. It was some sort of infection or corona. Um, so um, the whole protocol of telling us, well, you know. Well, ER because you're not, but we want you to follow primary care. It was a kind of experience in which you know we got we we were greeted with in full you know safety gear and for him to be tested for COVID nineteen. And you know while we were awaiting for results, you know both of us had to stay home. Because uh, you know, at least in, in my case, I work in, in in a field that I have a lot of contact with people, so uh, it was irresponsible for me to to be going to work without knowing whether I had been in close contact with a possible case. But um, so thankfully, that first test came out negative. Ludmilla, did they mention that you couldn't be tested because of a lack of kits? No, they didn't tell me anything. They didn't even offer. 
the protocol, I believe. You know, especially on the first step, you know, the one that we took, and if I'm not mistaken, on March 6th, you know, I told the doctor that, well, you know, having having some symptoms, you know, having, you know, have a sore throat, I have a cough, and, you know, I present more symptoms of, you know, than him at this point in time. And the doctor is like, well, you know, have you been in contact with, you know, somebody who is a known positive case? And I'm like, no, I haven't because nobody has been tested. So we, it seems to me at that point that they were kind of only giving tests to people who meet who met a very particular criteria. Hopefully, as the availability of tests grow and we know that is now increasing exponentially, those circumstances will change. Uh, but it's part of the reason why, um, you know, public health officials are telling people to call your doctor first before you go in. They're not going to just automatically test you. So unless you're showing symptoms that are serious enough for treatment, uh, they don't want everyone rushing into the doctor where they might expose someone else or, 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 um, or, or, or others when they won't even be tested immediately. So hopefully some of those um, frustrations yeah. uh, will, will be and, fixed. And I think and I think that is a reasonable advice. Oh, sorry, Michelle, do you have a question? Actually, Lumina and Mario, I do have a question. I know you kind of touched on this a little bit, but when you were at the hospital and at your healthcare providers, I know there's been a big push by our nurse advocate friends for the need for more personal protective equipment, masks, goggles, shields. Did you? What was your experience when you were in the hospital? Did you notice that there was a need for more equipment like this for our nurses and healthcare providers? I think in both uh, in, in both cases uh, there was a, 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 the equipment that was given to the to the to the doctors, but well, not an expert team sufficient. Particularly in Stanford Hospital, people were wearing face shields. They were wearing um, this sort of um, how to call it? Like, like a gown like a and gloves. And mask. Um, however, for example, I was in the in the in the isolation room with my husband at least when he was admitted into the ER, and I was given the same uh, you know face shield and mask and gloves. Uh, but as soon as I left, I didn't. <laughs> so and you know in Valley Medical, which is the, the county hospital, they were giving face masks to everybody who was waiting in the emergency room. Um, but I. And, and, uh, but again, you know, in, it's, that ER is far more modest in the sense that, you know, they're not necessarily individual rooms. It's more like a, like a large room that is divided by curtains. So um, definitely I would say that even though the doctors were, you know, more mindful of, of security protocols there, and, you know, if somebody sneezed there, it would have been very difficult to contain. So um, let, me just, let me just bring this question back to... Um, putting these two issues together, the, the medical negligence that you suffered years ago and um, the uh, run-in uh, with this, uh, f- uh, this current virus and, and the potential that you might have it uh, now, how would you say that um, you know, the restrictions, we're all focused on safety now, we're all adjusting to a new reality. You've had to react to that in light of your past experiences. I mean, how would you say the impact of, you know, the broad changes uh, that were wrought on your life back in 2013 after that sepsis was not treated promptly 
um, compared to this uh, this new world uh, that the whole country seems to be living in. It, it's, a, it's a disruption in lives that nobody would would have expected. Yeah, well, I think that uh, in, in obviously when this happened, uh, you know, back in 2018, you know, my husband, as you mentioned before, you know, he was a very healthy individual. Now he's a severely and chronically disabled individual. You know, he does his best to remain active, but he's not what he used to be. You know, his heart capacity has diminished. His lung capacity has diminished. And therefore, you know, he is more susceptible to this kind of uh, situation, you know, for complications from COVID-19. And, you know, I was surprised to see that uh, what appeared to have been a cold called pneumonia, and, you know, that's putting in an ER twice. And, you know, I cannot imagine the risk that he could be in if he catches a COVID-19 infection. So, um, but in terms of the, you know, how I see, uh, you know, the, the, the current COVID-19 crisis in, in the mirror of my experience uh, as, a, as a victim uh, or my husband's experience as a victim of medical malpractice is that um, one of the parts that I'm very concerned is, uh, you know, having pro- proper protocols to avoid uh, spread of infections in hospitals. Yes, I know that that is going to be a huge issue because even though doctors are doing their best to do whatever they can to isolate patients, and, and you know, right now it doesn't seem like they have the the same level of equipment that other countries have. You know, even in Stanford, uh, the level of protection that they had was lower than what I see on pictures on, from Chinese or from Italian hospitals. So um, I don't think that at this point uh, there there is enough safety equipment for doctors to properly treat a patient while also avoiding the spread of infection. That would be our main concern. The, the second is that you know people think that this is just the flu, you know, that this is something minor, uh, but our experience shows us that you know an infection can go really bad really quickly, even in a healthy individual. And, you know, people don't understand that when you have uh, an infection, whether it's viral or bacterial, and you develop, you know, uh, sepsis, and, you know, then your body develops an inflammatory response that can easily kill you. And if it doesn't kill you, it can lead cause, you know, enormous amount of complications such as an amputation or chronic organ failure. So um, it seems like the public is still not very knowledgeable about what the long-term consequence of this can be, you know, in, 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 even in a, in a healthy individual. And I wish, uh, you know, people were more cognizant of, of the risk involved. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing this. Um, I think that what you just said is, is really profound and that um, the public knowledge and awareness of this crisis is ramping up at a, a really fast pace um, because perhaps we hadn't taken it seriously enough originally and what all the failures may or may not have been, it's too early to really hash through all of that, I think, for for any of us lay people. But um, what I think is really important is that awareness will grow, uh, that this is a, a, a serious threat, um, that none of us should be panicking, but we should be taking proper precautions, follow the 
protections that the public health adv- uh, uh, public health officials have advised us, and that I, I I hope that this will also open up the public's eyes to the experiences of people who go through medical crises um, that never should have occurred, uh, like yeah. like Mario did. That this infection that could have been nipped in the bud instead was ignored for too long and cost him so much. Um, and and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll close this with reminding our listeners something that they're already well aware of because they hear about it on the podcast all the time, but that uh, we are, uh, we are uh, backing a ballot measure uh, with you guys' help, thank you very much, and with Michelle's help uh, to change the laws surrounding medical negligence so we can increase accountability provider to, uh, for uh, the medical insurance complex, uh, make insurance companies... Uh, pay patients who have been harmed fairly, uh, and in that way, increase patient safety protections. Ensure those infection protocols are in place. Ensure hospitals buy the equipment they need because they know they'll be in trouble if they don't. Um, So uh, thank you guys all for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll say goodbye. This has been the Rage for Justice Report, Consumer Watchdog's Rage for Justice Report podcast. Thank you all for listening. Um, You can learn more. uh, Follow the podcast on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we will talk to you next week.